This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Matt, and that's Ryan. Ryan, what about your friends? They're defective. All the parts are out of stock. Matt, a wasted youth is better by far than a wise and productive old age. <laughs> you took mine for uh, you took mine for our special guest because it's not just me and Ryan here. Uh, we have with us our good friend and meatloaf aficionado, a man who I have seen sing multiple meatloaf songs at karaoke, and not the uh, not the hits like deep album cuts. Matt Belinky, Matt. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I totally understand. Uh, Guys, who am I? Why am I here? Forget the questions. Someone get me another beer. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll get you another one of those as we settle into talking about Meatloaf's uh, uh, long-awaited follow-up to Bat Out of Hell. Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. (laughs) Uh, released mm-hmm. in in 1993, and just a perfect uh, just a perfect segue from Criss Cross, uh, totally crossed out last week. I mean, I see more similarities than differences in uh, in these two records. Uh, I mean, Meatloaf has certainly worn his pants backwards at least once, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, as as he like rouses himself, as he pulls himself out of you know his his bed of of agony and crazy sex, uh, I'm sure he pulled on he pulled on his pants uh, backwards at at least once. Now, th- I mean, this is like th- th- I don't know th- this what to say about this album by way of uh, of introduction. There's a lot of it. <laughs> there's certainly there's certainly a lot of it uh ryan tell us a little bit about your jogging experience with this album um yeah so i i set up uh what i will call the bad out of two challenge uh which is i um i i i went on a run in which i started the run when i pressed play on this album and vowed to not stop running uh until uh the last note of the last song um i covered eight and a half miles um uh a a a good stretch of the greater boston cambridge area uh and i have to say it was around miles six and a half or seven uh where i got to um wasted youth the weird jim steinman monologue uh sound poem uh and there was not a lot of uh not a lot of beat to keep me going uh but then once that that subsided it went right into um the really anthemic uh everything louder than everything else which then (laughs) kind of picked picked me home uh picked me up and brought me uh brought brought me across the finish line um so so I mean, I I don't think it was really conceived of as workout music, like, uh, but uh, it turns out turns out it works and has some built-in intervals there and has some built-in challenges, right? Like if you uh, if you can really uh, kind of keep up the pace through wasted youth, you are you are uh, rewarded with everything louder than everything else, which has the wasted youth lyric that you remember, which is a wasted youth is better by far than uh, than a wise and productive old age. Okay, there's a lot to talk about uh, with with this record. Um, there's a lot to uh, uh, unpack. I, why the hell has this record been released in 1993? I mean, it seems like it belongs to an earlier decade, just as Mr. Loaf seems like he belongs to uh, to an earlier time. Was that you edging in there, Matt? Do you, do you have something that, that you want to uh, add at this point? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the cool things about this album is that, like, it, most of it actually was written in an earlier decade. This is the kind of thing where a lot of these songs were written in the immediate aftermath of Bad Out of Hell. And for various reasons, interpersonal conflicts between Meatloaf and the composer of the songs, uh, Jim Steinman, and uh, like legal reasons and reasons uh, Meatloaf uh, was not in the best of health in the period immediately after Bad Out of Hell was released. He had some health problems and couldn't necessarily sing at the at the decibel level of which he was known for. Um, it just didn't come together. And Jim Steinman had other projects. He had his own band uh, and recorded uh, some of the songs. Songs in Bad Out of Hell 2 were originally recorded by himself and released in the early 80s um, or recorded by other groups that he was writing for. So, like, a lot of these songs were not written in the early 90s specifically for Bad Out of Hell 2. They were sort of collected when Meatloaf and Jim Steinman sort of got back together and decided, like, it's time to re- record another album together. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think will we'll maybe want to talk about is the nature of this, this partnership, right? Because we've sort of, we've not brought it up, but there are a number of kinds of relationships that you can have in bands uh, or in, in music production. Right. And like one of the things that's interesting about Chris Cross last week, I'm not sure we got into this explicitly, but, but we did a little bit is that as kind of counterparts or mirror images of one another, right. They are uh, to a certain extent subverting the traditional DJ MC um duo uh sort of dyad of of hip hop and like that the sort of songwriter slash like a plus 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 interpreter uh is you know of of his music um is one that we haven't I don't know. I'd have to 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 think back um, because of our focus on authenticity. We focus a lot on singer songwriters and sort of bands that that uh, um, write their own write their own material. And this is a this is a different kind of thing. We talked a bit, I guess, about Cyndi Lauper as an interpreter um, way back in the eighties and and more. But here, you know, Meatloaf is an interpreter of this music. But but you know, I I think that you could call him a co-author. Uh, in terms of like the amount of origin originality or the amount of uniqueness uh, the the amount that the final product's unique uniqueness stems not just from the uh, music and lyrics but also from the specific performance and what uh, what Mr. Love brings to it. Sure. If this were an academic uh, article, he would not just be listed in the acknowledgments. Uh, he, he'd be right there uh, on the masthead. Yeah. Right? And, and, and perhaps a second author, but an author, yeah. you know, but no lower than the second mm-hmm. author. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Steinman loaf at all. Right. <laughs> I mean, what one interesting comparison here is the relationship between uh, Elton John and his songwriter, uh, Bernie Talpin. Who I mean, it's my understanding that Elton John like really I mean, seriously, I was going to I was going to probably step in something and say that like Elton John doesn't really write songs. But did he not write all those Lion King songs? Or was that actually Bernie Taupin and and Elton John just shows up to sing them? He wrote the music to those. I mean, isn't Bernie Taupin a, a lyricist? I thought he was more than that, but and, hold on. And and the Lion King songs are Elton John, Tim Rice, who were the dynamic duo of of Disney animated movies in the period after Alan Menken and Hall- Howard Ashman. But we are spinning off into fiery universes and galaxies unknown, uh, which means that we're talking <laughs> about meatloaf. So hey, uh, pull on some premium athleisure. 
queue up Meatloaf on uh, on Spotify. Hit play. Run, see if you can beat Ryan's Ryan's record of eight and a half miles. That's that's going to be hard, but uh, get going. Listen to Bat Out of Hell two back into hell a couple times, and meet us back here uh, for the discussion after this word from our commercial sponsor. Are you driving in a car and looking to switch lanes safely while also look back upon your past mistakes? Why, I am. Uh, aren't you as well, Matt? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm absolutely doing it while I podcast. It's probably illegal in the state. <laughs> well, 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 if you're podcasting and driving, might I suggest rear view mirrors? What? Now, I'm looking forward, and I can kind of see out of my peripheral vision, but what on earth is this contraption dangling from the ceiling? Why, look into it and see those objects in behind you? They're behind you. <laughs> wow. Wow, and everything's backwards. And is yes. there, are, there, are there any caveats that I should be aware of before I use this to gauge distance between me and cars, which might be oncoming? Well, they are both closer than they appear and also appear closer than they are. What? Wait, my whole sense of spatial relationships has been messed up. What am I ever to do? Uh, I'm just going to use the side view mirrors just to be safe. Get your eyes back on the road. That's the main thing. Like you can't you if if you only look in the rearview mirror, you are destined to crash. But just look at it occasionally uh, for a bit of guidance, and you'll be a okay. Thanks, rearview mirror. Maybe, maybe a little wistful, but safe is the important thing. <laughs> and oh, yeah. we're tagline. Tag, tag yeah, tagline. <laughs> and we're back. Ryan, I have a question. I thought you might. But Matt, I, I, I have a question for you as well, but it's, it's one that we've sort of addressed. It's one that, that we've addressed ourselves. Uh, but, but, Ryan, I want to start with you, actually. Um, this, uh, this meatloaf, with his condemnation of past lovers, with his nursing grievances uh, and, and just uh, treasuring grievances done to him uh, time and time ago, with his slightly greasy look, with his standing apart from the crowd, with his uh, living in his memory, uh, in his past, with his relentless complaining and introspection. Is Meatloaf an emo band? Emo band? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was, I was going to ask you the same question, Matt. Um, We we know, you know what, like, this is like the second or third time that this has happened, and it's probably a sign that it's time to stop the podcast because we've we've (laughs) reached full bro symbiosis. Um, well, like, like, like Mr. Loaf and, and Steinman, it means that we have, uh, we have a healthy and well-functioning, uh, creative partnership. Yeah. Let's, um, let's go with that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it is a nearly un, uh, unqualified. Yes. Like I, I had this, um, I mean, it was an epiphany that I had, um, especially when I was listening to, um, uh, uh, everything louder than everything else. Um, because I mean, beyond even some of uh, what you say in terms of the, the, the tone, but it is a qualified yes. So the things about meatloaf that are emo ish and, and emo adjacent, um, are the kind of teenage wallowing by someone who is past that age. Um, uh, and then also like more of the musical elements, um, than you would suspect. Right. And especially like there are parts 
um, of the breakdown uh, in um, Everything Louder Than Everything Else that feel like the pop punk side of emo, right? Um, and feel like almost, whether it's like Jimmy Eat World or um, uh, a few of those other kind of the poppy punk, you know, kind of Fallout Boy-ish. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's interesting because another marker of those, um, the kind of late stage pop punk emo, um, I'm thinking like Panic at the Disco, were these very long song titles, right? Uh, and Objects in the Rearview Mirror uh, may appear closer than they are, I believe was the, I, at least at the time, the longest song without parentheses in it, uh, like uh, uh, to uh, chart on the on the top 40. Um, and just maybe if, someone if there are any yeah, that come on. immediately to mind, what are some of the like the long emo song titles that that just come to mind? I mean, I mean, it's not as long, um, but uh, there's like, I mean, still on the longer side, this is not a scene. This is an arms race, uh, which I believe is a fallout boy song. Uh-huh. Um, uh, let's see. Let me let me find some panic at the disco songs um, for you. Um, uh, I I definitely like um, uh, I, I, was, wait, wait. I, I was never. A big, I, I, I got one. I got one. There's a Fallout Boy song called "I'm Like a Lawyer with the Way I'm Always Trying to Get You Off." <laughs> yes, there from, you from the album Infinity on High. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, so uh, uh, sorry, Ryan. I, uh, let me let you finish. Cash out your point. Well, so it has both that and that. That I mean, that has both two features that overlap with. Um, uh, with with meatloaf is both the kind of over the topness uh, and kind of o- overstuffed nature, um, and then also the kind of you know almost single entendre level innuendo, right? Um, and you know I, I think about like the line in Objects in the Rearview Mirror. Um, uh, what's the the line uh, that's about the magic and the muscle? The 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 woman the, at the, the end mystery of and the muscle of love. <laughs> yeah, the mystery and the muscle of love. <laughs> Um, uh, also, and even like the, the lyrics from, and maybe this is just me reading into it, but from, uh, I would do anything, uh, for love was that some days it don't come easy and some days it don't come hard and some days it don't come at all. And these are the days that, that, never ne- that never end. <laughs> um, I mean, he's talking about his penis, right? <laughs> oh, I don't want to, I mean, as, as hilarious as that is, I don't want to take it for granted because I, I want to discuss what he's, what, what's very interesting here is like, this is a direct sequel to, or it's, it's, it's presented as a sequel to Bat Out of Hell. Um, and Bat Out of Hell is, is definitely the album of a young man. And he's singing the, you know, so the, the, the main song, uh, the, the two songs that everybody knows from Bat Out of Hell are the song Bat Out of Hell, which is about this young kid who's riding his motorcycle recklessly and dies in like a fire, spoiler alert for the song Bat Out of Hell, dies in a fiery wreck. And the other one that everyone knows is Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which is about a bunch of teenagers making out. Um, right. And these songs are very much like the songs of a middle-aged man, and they're less about like love and infatuation, with the obvious exception of "I would do anything for love." Um, the uh, like the, uh, the there's the um, uh, life is a lemon, and I want my money back. The the song that I don't know what it is, but it just won't quit. Which I see, le- it's not all about his penis. Some of it is, but I think it's just about <laughs> the sort of regrets <laughs> and the sort of like the the, the middle-aged unease. Um, and then there's objects in the rearview mirror, which is very much about sort of like being haunted by your past. And so that like more, more than, than I'd say like a lot of albums that I could think of, this is like an album that's like less about sort of like 
singing to a woman and more just mm. like sort of singing about like it's it's like a like a, a midlife crisis album kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's right. And it is interesting. One of the late the genres that I see it labeled as uh, interestingly is uh, adult contemporary. Um, and it's interesting because at the time I didn't think it of it as uh, adult contemporary because I was 11 and I was, you know, um, I was very contemporary, but not at all adult. Um, and uh, and I love this. Right. This was on this was on MTV um, constantly, um, especially um, uh, anything for love, uh, but also objects in the rearview mirror. Um, and I love these, and I, you know, skated to these at the roller rink. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I think that, and it's interesting. There was a mini meatloaf boom. I mean, I remember. I'm pretty sure I remember Paradise at the do- Dashboard Lights getting played at like a school dance, um, and people being into it, right? So that um, it, it was. Uh, it's it's an interesting kind of question of how this on the one hand i think was this middle-aged album and kind of spoke to people who had probably liked bad bad out of hell in 1979 who were approaching middle age um in 1993 but also kind of connected with the mtv generation um and and kind of sat you know interestingly along alongside you know a lot of other kinds of alternative rock that kind of on on the surface are are repudiating those excesses, right? So it's 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 interesting to kind of um, think about this kind of midlife crisis album becoming. So I think one piece of context that we didn't say is that this was a huge hit. I think defying all expectations, right? That the album um, reached number one on the Billboard um, 200 chart, um, and anything for love, I think, spent um, quite a good amount of time um, at the top of the um, uh, uh, the singles chart, right? So these were yeah. these were huge hits in 93 which i think is all the more shocking because i think even the radio edits of anything for love is like seven minutes and and the album version is like 12 minutes 12 12 minutes it is the 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 album version goes on for nine minutes and then becomes a duet at like (laughs) nine minutes and 30 seconds well the the whole yeah it's it's a little weird and uh, the the construction of i would do anything for love is something that that we should talk about but just i'm just doing a little math on the wikipedia pages right like they were born in 1947 uh, both, both, uh, um, uh, uh, Michael Lee a day born Marvin Lee a day and Jim Steinman both born in 1947. And in 1993, they were 46 years old. Right. And th- that's, that's old to be, to be doing this kind of music, right? Like, because the, you know, I don't know that the sort of contemporary, artists at the time, the people you think of as being, you know, kind of defining this era in music, largely in the kind of the Seattle grunge scene and, and the sort of alternative rock scene are much younger, right? Are in their, their twenties. Cobain was a member of the 27 club, like he, and, uh, you know, Tori Amos was pretty young when her first, but then go back to, to what was it? 79, uh, 70, 78. Oh, 78. He was, he was over 30. Um, so wow. right. He was, uh, over 30. And so he's, I don't know. It's sort of like a couple things I want to say about this. One is it like the, there is a kind of self-assuredness that you need to be this theatrical, uh, a kind of like belief in your own. Yeah. E- even though a lot of the, the, um, the uh, manifest content of the lyrics is about self-criticism. Like a lot of the presentation is just really badass. Um, 
for certain definitions of badass. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily solicitous of your approval. It, it sort of puts itself out there and holds itself out on its own yeah. terms. I read, and, I read an interview with uh, Steinman where he said that what he wanted to go for at this album is the most heroic album possible. And I thought that was a very interesting adjective because it's not, it's not about somebody who does, you know, like rescues children from a burning building, but there is something very heroic about the presentation. Well, well, okay, so this this is the thing, right? Like, uh, this is the question I wanted to, to ask you. So, so Matt, I have a question. Um, what okay. th- this this uh, this bat out of hell too, back into to hell. These songs with their uh, with their you know so their narratives and their strong characters and their uh, their real um, theatricality, their concern with self presentation. Their abrupt shifts in in mood, their uh, their point of view, and kind of multiple points of view. A lot of the time, uh, are these songs musical theater songs? Well, I mean, the the, the first uh, thing I want to bring up is that if not now, they will be later this year because there is in fact a bad out of hell musical that is uh, coming out. Sadly, only in uh, England where Jim Steinman is based, uh, there is a Bad Out of Hell musical that you can go see where they have uh, somehow tied a plot around the Meatloaf songs. <laughs> and so that, that, uh, so, so that they, will, they will complete their metamorphosis into full-on show tunes. But I do have to say, so, so Bad Out of Hell 2 was a giant album in my house in 1993, and it was very popular. And it, it, it's my mom and my dad do not have a lot of musical overlap in their Venn diagrams. They are two circles that are very broad, diverse circles that somehow don't overlap except for really meatloaf is right there. <laughs> and and I'm trying to think of something, maybe some parts of the sound of music. But I so but here's and here's the thing that that's the key there is that like my dad into classic rock, my mom a musical theater teacher professionally, the person who directed all the musicals in our hometown and like always had a show tune on the stereo. And I think she, you know, tolerated and enjoyed the album because it basically was the soundtrack for a musical that had not been written yet. Um, and it was, but I should probably slide this in now that that uh, Meatloaf was the first rock concert I ever went to at the Hartford Coliseum. Whoa! Wow. Oh, on that the Bad Out of Hell tour tour. That's right. Amazing. So who who brought Meatloaf into your life? What like did you discover this? Was this music that you were like at the record store and brought home? Uh, and no, your parents caught on to? Definitely. Like my my dad was very into this album, and this was like driving around music. This was like there there usually was like some sort of like complicated the alternating who got to pick the music, my mom and my dad, based on like favors they had performed for each other recently. <laughs> and like, you know, like who had, who had uh, done the dishes last and everything. But this was like a, an album that they sort of both could agree on. And I'm still, I'm still looking for another album like that. If anyone has a, a meatloaf esque album that you could recommend that bridges that gap. Um, and so that it was definitely like my parents uh, got me into it. Um, and it's interesting because it's like it, it is very much like if you, if you listen to Bad Out of Hell 1, it definitely it sounds like a sequel. And that's because, like, like we said earlier, that a lot of this music was, in fact, written in the period of like the late 70s or early 80s. And it's I mean, it's interesting to think that, like, to me, this music is very much inspired by glam, is very much inspired mm-hmm. by Queen, Queen specifically. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing that if I Google Jim Steinman and Queen, I could find some quote like, 
Queen is one of my major influences, says Jim Steinman. Um, and, uh, you know, so then then it's sort of like, you know, frozen in amber for 15 years. And it's 1993. <laughs> and and you know what kind of occurs to me that that this is slightly after a couple of years after Appetite for Destruction. Because it's uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, or uh, Appetite. Or, it's uh, it's a quite a few after Appetite, but it's uh, just about two after uh, the Use Your Illusions. Right. After right. the Guns N' Roses turn toward the, the kind of the operatic and theatrical. Yeah. Right? And I'm, th- I'm thinking like November Rain to Bad Out of Hell 2 is not so huge a gap. Yep. Oh, well, and the thing that happened in between those two, um, exactly to something that you were talking about, Matt, is um, that uh, Wayne's World came out in 1992 and repopularized Bohemian Rhapsody, right? That Bohemian Rhapsody reached number two on the um, Hot 100 chart uh, in 1992, uh, uh, riding this wave of interest um, following Wayne's World, right? So there is this, I think that these are all part of this um, same kind of trend, right? This this like small revival of I mean I don't I don't think that it lasted I don't think that like there were a lot of very operatic you know orchestral albums released in the mid nineties except for of course uh, the many works of Yanni which I don't believe you guys have covered yet for some reason. Well, well, when we do, we'll have you on. <laughs> oh, yes, was I, that, will, I will be podcasting live from the Acropolis. Were, <laughs> were those were those albums played in your house growing up a, a lot? You know. As they they may have been. I can neither confirm nor deny that at this time. <laughs> I mean, the one the one kind of thing that does um, kind of carry this torch forward um, is, I think, Celine Dion. Um, I think later wow. into the '90s, it, it kind of goes away from rock a little into pop. Um, and I think the bridge there um, is Jim Simon again, right? Who um, who wrote uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me Now," um, which was originally supposed to be on Bad Out of Hell Two, uh, was I think, from what I read, left off in favor of um, "I Would Do Anything for Love," um, but then was popularized by Celine Dion in 1996, um, and then she kind of of then, then um, uh, uh, the heart will, my heart will go on. Um, uh, kind of follows that a uh, few years later um, in a similar kind of turn towards the epic and and operatic and, and dramatic. Um, and and I mean, it doesn't necessarily carry on too much further, but that there is, um, it lingers and morphs a little even more throughout the late nineties, uh, um, but kind of um, uh, you know spreads its wings a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there there is a little bit of a you know the 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 glam, the sort of epic, the gothic rock sort of like yeah. lives on, um, but it is it does seem like a like an outlier, right? That's that's why this album is so it it really came out of nowhere. Everyone thought that it was just sort of like a nostalgia project, um, but it it touched a nerve and it was it was a huge hit. Um, in ways that, you know, with people who aren't normally, you know, MTV fans. Yeah, I guess it created this coalition, right? It was the, I mean, like you say. Um, <laughs> it brought families together is what it, it did. Brought, 
yeah, well, it was it was a four quadrant album, right? <laughs> um, and that's like that's part of it, right? There is so much on um, on MTV that was unintelligible um, to parents, and actually, these videos had they been by anyone else um, would have been dismissed, but because um, it was Meatloaf, a name we can trust, right? Meatloaf was a brand name. This was not generic Meatloaf, um, and, uh, and so uh, right, it's like. And, and, and so he was known to parents. Um, I guess it was uh, Meatloaf was parent tested, kid approved, right? <laughs> um, uh, and 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 it's so rare, right? That I, I think that there are a few other things. Uh, I, I don't know. There there's there were a few things. I mean, in my household, it's interesting. I was thinking um, as we were talking about Meatloaf. I mean, the other thing that was firmly adult contemporary. Like my parents actually listened to a lot of adult contemporary. Um, and uh, we, well, they, we definitely, were, they were adults. And and contemporary, and it was contemporary. So do you know what they listen to? Their their long haired uh, uh, baritone of choice. I guess Meatloaf is more of a tenor, uh, but they they were Michael Bolton fans, um, and uh, and that was like different, right? That Michael Bolton for me was kind of was was tolerated um, barely, um, but but definitely was not my music. But somehow. Meatloaf um, in our household, like like Matt's, could be both my music and my parents' music, um, and that's that's pretty rare. I, that should that should not be undersold. Um, I don't know, uh, Matt. Matt, you you now are a parent. Have you played Meatloaf for for your kids? <laughs> um, oh, that's a, a future memory I'm going to to savor. But I feel like you need to have an attention span beyond five minutes to enjoy a good Meatloaf song. Um, <laughs> These, yeah, are, I mean, these, these are really, it, you know, because it's funny because it's like, you know, they, they Jim Steinman obviously moaned and groaned about having to do a radio edit of like seven minutes to, to everything for love. But like that would be completely possible. He just really doesn't like normal sort of pop song structure. Well, let's yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about this, this structure a little bit, because like the sense that I have listening to anything for love you you know how at the end if you listen to like a power ballad or if you listen to uh a song that has like a really big actually november rain is is like this a little bit how there will be a last chorus that it slows down to halftime you know that just like breaks down to piano and voice um right there'll be like maybe a solo a big guitar solo a loud kind of climactic moment uh in the music and then like a slow like refractory uh you know um recapitulation of the main theme uh a little finale or denouement or tag like uh, anything for love is just that denouement like five times in a in a row i feel like it's an it's a song with no beginning and middle but like six or seven ends yeah uh, i mean that's yeah. a good point. It might be the only song I can think of where the chorus is at a like half the tempo of the verses. Right. The right because the, the chorus you're always waiting for it to get slow again. You know that once you know this song, you're not waiting for the part where it picks up. You're waiting for the part where like the bottom drops out and it's just uh, it's just Mr. Love singing with the uh, singing with that kind of like tinny honky tonk piano sound that's on it. Uh, and, and that like, so, right. So in terms of, in terms of 
construction, it gives me to start the album with like six or seven song endings in a row. And like the first thing, like the, the really fast piano thing that starts it and then, uh, followed by, you know, followed by the singing, uh, a verse that starts with the word and, right? There's no, there's nothing previous. There's no foregoing clause that to join, uh, what, what follows, uh, well, by it's that. all, it's all of bad out of hell one, right? <laughs> yeah, exa- fair enough. Right. It's like all of bad out of hell one and bad out of hell two. <laughs> right. I suppose like I can see paradise by the dashboard light and I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, yeah. And that, that it's like that sort of solo and that, and that this, like this pattern repeats five or six times. Um, very interesting to me because this is, this sort of shows me, a lot of rock and roll is about catharsis and it's about making catharsis present now. You know, uh, that's why the shows are so wild. You know, that's why the, the guitar solos are so lavish. That's why the lyrics are so kind of unmediated and, and confrontational. It's like, rah, it's happening now. And, um, and the the uh this opening gives uh, like an interpretive window into what uh Jim Steinman's project is that he's not necessarily interested in that like there's a great deal of intensity but a lot of it is focused on the past you know and 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 a lot of it is focused on like it's not a song about falling in love you know like the falling in love already happened and maybe the falling out of love already happened because this song is like a goodbye letter it's not like a will you sleep with me uh sort of poem which a lot of rock and roll um traditionally is and even when it isn't it still is uh so so by by focusing on like a, a sort of the hint of a climax and then a denouement uh it, this this is sort of an album about like what ha- to me an album a- about what happens after the ending and i guess as a sequel to bad out of hell that makes sense as well because bad out of hell yes this was um this was uh did okay on the charts, but Bad Out of Hell 1 is like a, a phenomenon, the, the equal of like Michael Jackson or something like that. Like, I think Bad Out of Hell 1 still sells hundreds of thousands of, of copies every year. And, uh, and so this is kind of after that, like after the bat has, has gotten out of hell. And, and like, how, how do you go back into hell? You know, I think you do it with memory. You know, I think you do it with nostalgia to a little bit or with a kind of agonized memory. Um, yeah. Or a kind of agonized nostalgia. Uh, does this, I mean, you're, you're the biggest. I, I feel like, Matt, I, I'm all, all these interpretations I'm pitching to you because you're the biggest subject matter expert here. And so I want to, uh, I, you know, I just want to know what you think of that construction on the, the artistic project here. No, I think, you know, one thing that struck me, you mentioning it about how the, it's not a love song, it's a maybe saying goodbye, it's about an after love song. That was even present in the original Bad Out of Hell, that the, the title track, Bad Out of Hell, is about he's leaving, a, it's it's basically Freebird, right? He's 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 got to go on his motorcycle and drive recklessly, so he's leaving her. Uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light has this little coda where it turns out, like, guess what? Like that passion and that love, we're no, it doesn't last. And then, the, I mean, another big uh, hit from that album was called Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, which is where he's saying, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. Now, don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. Huh. And that was that was when he was a younger man. 
And these songs are like all very much about things that he's lost and things that he said goodbye to. And, you know, it's it's funny because that that might be more in Jim Steinman's repertoire, because think about that Celine Dion hits where it's like it's all coming back to me now. That's another song about like, you know, we had this great romance. We lost it. And maybe there's a chance we could get it back. But it's this it's this wistfulness. And there's this, you know, and maybe that's just like the honest songwriting from a middle aged man in his 40s who's still trying to write these epic rock songs, they, they have to be about, you know, memory rather than this sort of like anticipation of like the future. I mean, can we talk about objects in the rearview mirror? A wait, wait, bit? oh yeah. Let's, oh. Let's, but let's stay on, I, I have one last like uh, turn that I want to ri- change that I want to ring on. Um, I would do anything for love. Um, and, and then we can pivot into to objects in the rearview mirror, right? Which is, I, I want to kind of parse a little bit um, the actual kind of key set of lines in um, I Would Do Anything for Love, um, because I think it's, it's I think, often misunderstood. I mean, or maybe I've just misunderstood it. Um, well, it's about, but butt, I, it's about butt stuff, right? Well, I mean, right. Like, so that was like for a good 10 years of my life. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then um, I think, though, the interesting thing, right, is that I want to that I want to kind of parse is the how we read um, what it means to do anything for love, right? And I think for a longest time, um, even once I dispensed with the the butt stuff interpretation, um, that that <laughs> when you be, I, when I, you became a man, you put away childish butt stuff. <laughs> yes, um, and uh, and and. Uh, I think I still interpreted um, the love that anything is being done for is the um, the love of uh, of a woman that the song is being sung to, right? So it's like I would do anything for your love, um, or to kind of serve, right, in service of love. Um, uh, but I think now with this 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 interpretation of um, nostalgia, and especially when you look at the that the that are um, uh, referring to. Um, previous clauses uh, in these sets, right? So that in the f- the first um, instance of it, right, um, is I'll never forget the way you feel right now. Oh no, no way. Um, and I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? So the that is forgetting the way that um, that you feel right now. Um, and that, like, as I was thinking about this, I was like, well, that that doesn't make sense um, in terms of the um, in service of love, right? Because like, no one would forget the way someone feels in service of love. And then I realized that the 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 kind of for love that um, he is talking about is like it's like a junkie trying to get his fix, right? And like, hey man, hey man, I would do anything for love. Give me some love, like. Uh, oh, but no, I won't forget the way this other chick that I loved feels. But just give me some, just like I'll do anything else for love, but not that. Like um, and and so I think that that the, he's someone who has loved and lost and wants more love, uh, but needs to get it somewhere else. I don't know. That's I mean, uh, uh, do you guys have other parsings on um, what what meatloaf will for uh, what what meatloaf will and will not do for love? I, I mean, I'm still in kind of a butt stuff frame of mind here. That's <laughs> you know. <laughs> that sounds like a great song title right there. Um, so it's good. I'm, I'm looking at the. Uh, I'm cheating. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. So the four different things and the four repetitions of the chorus that he says he will not do for love are forget the way you feel right now, forgive myself if we don't go all the way tonight, which is great. Uh, do it better than I do it with you, and stop dreaming of you every night of my life. And I actually do like this interpretation where he's basically saying that, like, look, I'm gonna. 
look for somebody else. I'm going to look as hard as I can for happiness with somebody else, but I'm never going to completely get over you. Is like right. so it so it is a goodbye song, and it's not even a can we get back together song. It's sort of like I know that we're not going to get back together, and that's what I'm sad about. That's what I'm upset about. But then the problem is like what doesn't really work is then when it when it goes through one of its many metamorphoses into like its next. It's like a boss in like an old video game that keeps like <laughs> once you've depleted its health. It's like I'm not even in my final form yet, um, because then then there's the part where like a woman actually begins to sing and begins to ask him the things that he will or will not do. And I don't know. It's, it's almost like that's a different paradigm for the song. <laughs> well, yeah. In, in different movements, I'm really taken with this, with Ryan's construction on, on this of the, and it, it, it hinges on a reading of the word for, right? Like it's not in service of it's in order to obtain, Right. Right. Like, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a burger for five dollars. Right. Like I would do anything right. for a burger, <laughs> you know. Uh, right. I, right. It's like it's uh, I would do anything for a Klondike bar, but I won't do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the, the yeah. And the idea the idea is that like even. Well, it's about it's about memory. It's about kind of uh, honestly, it's about objects in in the rearview mirror. You know, if this former love, this love that's gone, um, where we uh, where we wouldn't forgive ourselves if we don't go uh, all the way tonight, uh, where we um, uh, what else wouldn't we do? Where where uh, we'll never do it better than we do it with you, and where we'll never stop dreaming of you every night of my life. That that's gone, um, but it still has a hold on him. It still has a certain claim on uh, on certain things that that he can uh, or or can't do. To a certain extent, for Meatloaf, like the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. It's uh, it's just kind of happening to him again now. It's, it appears closer than it actually is. Well, that's. I mean, the, yeah. This was my. This was going to be my point about about this song and the kind of the nonsensical, nonsensical title. If you know anything about you know the convex mirrors that they have on uh, car, um, uh, car uh, uh, right right side view mirrors that you know it's like well actually Mr. Steinman, um, but. Uh, but yeah, or, or shall, shall we move? Shall we move on to that a yeah, little bit? To, yeah, I mean, because sure. I, I think that this is one. You know, it tells a a, a set of stories. You know, uh, and there's actually more something more like a traditional song structure in this particular um, Steinman epic. You know, uh, the. Um, the uh the racing the racing in cars um i think he's right behind me now and he's gaining ground and the friend is gone uh and then the um uh oh the se- the uh the second one is the father and the third one is yeah. the is the lover right the friend the friend the family the friend the family and the lover like this is this is a a song structure that i that i understand by the way it's very theatrical and very very sort of dramatic mm. in the way it kind of it kind of grows in in intensity but it's about these are these are about um uh, in the capital R romantic way, like recollecting moments of powerful feeling uh, later on in life. And the idea is that like memories may appear closer than they are. Like memories may seem like they're here with you now, though they're, though they're actually, 
um, though they're actually not. Yeah, and I, I think just to, you, as we get started with this, uh, a lot of this was uh, apparently based on Meatloaf's actual life. Like his dad was an alcoholic and was abusive to their family, um, and so that like this isn't this isn't just sort of like a fairy tale story. This is like actual memories that continue to haunt him. Um, and in fact, in in this case, you know, although we've talked about how like so many of these songs were were came from an earlier era and like had been sitting in a drawer, um, the music I believe was actually from a, a previous song, but like completely different lyrics, and they they rewrote it and reworked it so it was actually about Meatloaf's own experiences. Huh. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you, uh, 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 uh what do you, what do you make of the song? I mean, what do you make of the, the lyrics? What do you make of these experiences is I guess what I wanted to say. I mean, I definitely think, you know, we haven't mentioned, uh, the music videos, uh, which are, you know, we, we mentioned seeing them on MTV. I don't believe we've name dropped the gentleman who directed it. It's a young director, uh, only known for music videos at the time yet to make a feature film by the name of, uh, Michael Bay. You guys oh. may have heard of him. Well, I've seen, I, yeah, I mean, I saw those music videos. Uh, he certainly has a style, you know, that kid might go places. He might, and it's it's it strikes me as as serendipity or fate or something that that this pairing would happen that that Meatloaf, who is the most sort of over the top, uh, grandiose of rock singers, um, and Michael Bay, who is the most over the top of directors, um, I don't know exactly how they got hooked up because at the time Michael Bay was not. Michael Bay, the sort of pop culture icon that we know him, he was just a kid who was directing music videos, but he certainly seemed like the right man for the job. And in fact, like if you watch the um, the objects in the rearview mirror, um, you know, it, it's funny that like the song talks about like, you know, his best friend dies in a crash and it doesn't go into a lot of details. It just says it crashed and burned. And you would assume that it would be maybe a motorcycle crash because of like, you know, that's what happened in Bad Out of Hell. Uh, it turns out in the, in the, uh, the, <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it in the music video, it's a biplane accident. <laughs> it's, and it's literally like, like almost like he's already dreaming up a uh, Pearl Harbor that he's going to make like what, six years later. Um, seven years later. And it's almost like, it's like, yeah, can we do some like slow motion thing where he's like in the biplane and then the biplane is soaring dramatically through the air over the, the windswept planes. And then, and then the biplane turns into a robot. Right? <laughs> it's all there. If you look closely enough, you see all of his future work. It's all, right? of Michael, all of Michael Bay's work. It's a Rosetta Stone for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is interesting. It is one of these things. I mean, I, I do, I, I would love to know the oral history of those music videos and, and of that connection. Um, I mean, you almost feel like it goes some way of like, they're looking for a director and it's like, Man, it's impossible to make videos for these songs. They're like, um, they're they're you know they're eleven minutes long or seven minutes long, um, and have these unconventional structures and are um, and are these sweeping epics and almost rising to that task. Uh, I you know I almost want to say that it like you know it, it it enables like Michael Bay to 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 take those steps towards full Michael Bayness, right? Um, yeah. uh, and, and and you know to put to, you know put a finer point on it. Is that like Michael Bay is or becomes the meatloaf of of movies 
and me, uh, just as meatloaf is the Michael Bay of music. Right. And so they complete each other. <laughs> I, it's yeah. I mean, I, I, we, it's funny. That's something that, that we were talking about before. And I, as for the last hour, I've been thinking about it. And I think maybe one of the things is kind of a, a lack of a sense of proportion is that makes Michael Bay like, like meatloaf, right? Like in the, um, the video essays by Tony Zhao called, uh, every frame of painting, um, the one about Michael Bay uh, points out how everything gets the epic heroic treatment, like every element, like standing up from a chair, whether or not it's particularly important in the scene, will get will be shot as though it were the most dramatic moment uh, in the film with a moving camera and multiple layers of, of middle ground and background uh, stuff and like a lamppost to like to really show the. Um, uh, to show the movement and uh, there's no sense of there's no sense of kind of proportion that some things you do on volume two and some things you do on volume 10 and that's yeah. that's similar to meatloaf as well like everything you do on on there is no volume two like there's no sort of moderate intensity uh it's every, one everything, of the louder. Right. Yeah, everything louder than everything else right. right yeah everything is louder than everything else and all the kind of the feedback the reinforcing um feedback that 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 implies and it's sort of like you know get quiet well he would do anything for love but he won't do that i mean everything louder than everything else is a um plot synopsis of most of the transformers movies (laughs) (laughs) although to be fair like meatloaf at least will attempt the occasional ballad where he sings quietly like the final track on the album uh lost boys and golden girls i think is just piano yeah. Um, whereas that Michael Bay doesn't do any piano numbers. Fair enough. Um, just piano and and meatloaf is uh, is interesting. <laughs> is his name? I mean, I I sort of didn't do this level of research for which you know shame on me. But like, where does the where does the name come from? Let me. I mean, maybe I guess I should consult the Oracle. Um. But like, I, I uh, seem to recall that it was, a, it was a nickname that he had from high school, his coach, his football coach, because which is funny because now I think you get fired for nicknaming one of your students Meatloaf. Like if, if you were like on Friday Night Lights and the coach started 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 calling um, <laughs> like Michael B. Jordan Meatloaf, it wouldn't go well. But um, I'm pretty sure that that's that's I mean, he was like a like a big dude you know, from a young age. And so that was, and I guess he's, he's just I, to his credit, like owning it. Right. Wow. That instead of like being ashamed of his weight, he's like, I am meatloaf and I'm proud. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> way to, way to reclaim that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Although, you know, it, according to Wikipedia, that's, that's exactly it. Although there's an aspect of that I wanted to bring up, which is like how serious are Meatloaf and Jim Steinman, and to what extent is there a bit of a camp or tongue-in-cheek element mm. to their whole project? And and I, I think of that because I think the, the name might be a hint that there is a certain sense of like let's put it this way, like they're not like they're not like a hardcore metal group where it's like everything they do needs to be super serious in service of our dark lord. I mean, not, even thematically, it's not that way. But I guess I'm just saying that like I think they have a little more of a wry sense of humor about what they're doing. But at the same time, it's it's. I mean, I've I've tried to to coin this term and use it occasionally. I'm overthinking it. Irony, 
yeah. which is halfway between earnest and ironic, um, which is and it's it's difficult. And, and the, the the thing that I always bring up as like a prime example of it is the South Park movie. Um, which is a musical and I think is both a, a fantastic parody of musicals and a fantastic sort of takedown of like that Disney style of songwriting or Les Mis, but at the same time is a legitimately great musical. And it's clear that, that Trey Parker and Matt Stone love musicals. And so it really straddles this line between mockery and, and just admiration. And I kind of think that that Meatloaf and Jim Steinman are also sort of walking that road between you know, self-mockery and and absolute earnest sort of, like, dedication to the cause. I, it is interesting. I, I read um, something in some of the, uh, re- like, reporting on Bad Out of Hell 1 um, that when Todd Rundgren, uh, Rundgren signed on um, to play on the album and I think um, do some production work, um, he viewed, like, the pitch and some of the sketches of the songs as parodies of Bruce Springsteen, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and, like, not that he was, like, duped, but, like, he kind of could wrap his head around it by viewing it that, that it was a parody and kind of a heightening of um of that and 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 i think and then and this even like um i i think it even kind of deepens and i think it turns into that but for um you know bad out of two is both a sequel it is it's it's both um i'm trying to think it, it, you know it's it's it is both a uh it is both a sequel and a parody um uh in in one right so it's it's uh it's it's both got there's actually these quotes and even this feels tongue in cheek right but there are these quotes where Steinman says well when i approached battle of hell 2 i was really i thought of it as kind of like you know um godfather and godfather 2 um and that is a that's a ridiculous statement uh, um and i i think that there is this kind of continuity um but there is also this kind of um there is absolutely a a kind of comedic heightening right so it's godfather 2 and jane austen's mafia uh, all rolled into one right? <laughs> yeah I, well i don't know like as as a a statement about artistic ambition i sort of understand that as a sort of uh self-assessment of you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's it's nothing short of i mean it's nothing short of of delusional um you know, I you know I don't know. Yeah, the the, uh, the it, Springsteen is interesting. It's one that I hadn't thought of, and now my mind is is spinning. There's a kind of like grandiose mytholog mytho- mythologizing of the self, right? Yeah. That and especially having to do with early experiences in like teenage, uh, uh, you know, your teenage years and kind of young adult years, um, and also with Springsteen, kind of a sense that like. Uh, a sense that the way to the way to get it up a little bit is to remember how good it used to be right uh it, there's a kind of wistful uh a wistful quality i guess is is what i mean to say and that you know that's that's an interesting thing i mean um to a certain extent like what what 
I don't know. It's I, I would use the, the rubric of theatricality to describe it rather than the rubric of like irony. Like irony is is you know, uh irony is the trope that creates two worlds, right? Like there's a uh there's a sort of alleged world and an actual world. And the the ironic distance is the distance between those. So it's something that you like so sarcasm is verbal irony because it creates a it creates a wonderful it creates a distance between the wonderful things thing you say and the shitty thing you mean like you know oh i love that jacket it looks so great on you you know like the manifest content is is nice and the the actual content is is shitty like what the what the ironic part here is is unclear to me because it doesn't seem to be um critical of of like power power ballad style rock you know um i mean is it is it just like is it because so much is very unqualified right like there seems to be no boundary or scope conditions on a lot of the things that that he's saying that that you would describe it as as ironic um like because it's just all so balls out uh and and you know i don't know what it, right certainly certainly no one could possibly mean all of this <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's the yeah that's that's what i'm saying is that is that what it is i i suppose i mean i i get that sense as well but like but then again if you've ever met a teenager you know um they they get pretty grandiose in their in their self mythologization well, then I guess that's the irony is the irony is the world in which like meatloaf is singing like he's a teenager and we see meatloaf. Right. <laughs> and those are the t- the ironic distance uh, is is the gap between meatloaf and a teenager. <laughs> uh, and, and he and, and he rides his flying motorcycle over that ironic distance <laughs> and lands uh, uh, lands in flames on the other side. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think when we're discussing irony. We got to mentioned the album cover which is so for those of you who haven't seen it and i will i can see it every time i close my eyes there's a large batwing demon clinging to the top of the chrysler building and i believe there is there is an angel there's a beautiful sexy angel who is sort of like clutching to the spire in in, in the demon's uh, thrall and then here comes a, a a golden god which I can only assume is meant to be the way Meatloaf sees himself, riding a flying motorcycle, coming sailing in, and clutching like a ball of light, uh, which he's about to hurl dramatically at the... So it's it's the most epic image that, that presumably the artist was could, could think of. And it doesn't quite match up with anything else. Like, the you know, an album which is full of songs about regrets and about, like, you know, sort of like the the... The, the disappointments of middle-aged life and about how like life is a lemon and he wants his money back. It doesn't seem like the, the, uh, an album about like a guy who's going to ride a flaming motorcycle and rescue an angel from the top of the Chrysler building. Uh, does the, the bat represents middle age <laughs> and his teenage self is, uh, is coming out of back out of hell to destroy middle-aged regret. And reclaim the hot young chick. But it's not even like uh, the the biker figure is not even like a super sexy teenager. He looks like one of the elves from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> right? Sort of with with like ripped abs, uh, with ripped abs and a leather vest, uh, like yeah, motorcycle. Le- Lego 
Yeah, Lego lost on a Har- on a Harley, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, or or it looks a little bit like the others from um, uh, from uh, Game of Thrones, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, it's the you know it's that kind of thing. I don't know. Like as far as like developing a reading of this, uh, the thing that's interesting to me is how small the woman is compared with the other with the other elements, right? Like the woman is almost an afterthought. It's really it's really Legolas versus the the Bat Demon. You know, um, and the 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 sort of the motorcycle, you know, and the and the sort of phallic buildings, like thrusting the the Chrysler building, um, <laughs> thrusting the the tip of its spire uh, up into the up into the air, like that. That seems to be like the the important thing. And the the, the woman is almost like she, uh, she stands out because she's lighter than the surroundings, but she's very small in scale compared with the uh, compared with the rest of everything, and and seems to be of diminished importance um, versus this kind of this sort of epic drama of of like oneself crashing into one's own regret and disappointment. <laughs> So, you know, speaking of that sort of tone of regret and disappointment and anger about the way life has turned out, this may just be me because I've had a a certain uh, political current events on the brain. But this album struck me as very Trumpian, very Trump-esque in the sort of like the anger about like and I'm thinking specifically, first of all, there's the song Life is a Lemon and I Want My Money Back where he complains like it's a never ending attack. Everything's a lie. And that's a fact life is a lemon and I want my money back. And he's talking, I mean, I, I could pretty much read all the lyrics, all the morons and all the stooges with their coins. They're the ones who make the rules and it's not a game. It's just a route. No, no, no puppet. You're the puppet. Yeah. You're the puppet. Uh, you're the, de- you're the bat demon. You're the right. bat demon. You know? And so then the, the other side of that coin, the, the Trumpian coin the from the anger is the sort of like the the uh, make America great again side is um, everything louder than everything else, which begins. I know that I will never be politically correct and I don't give a damn about my lack of etiquette. As far as I'm concerned, the work could still be flat, flat. And if they say the thrill is gone, then it's time we take it back. So it's basically like make the decibel level great again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I one of the trolling questions that I, I was going to have, and I, I stayed away from it because uh, I didn't necessarily want to launch us off in this direction immediately. But what the hell, we can do it now. Is uh, is this an album about white rage? You know, and I I, I think that that it's not not uh, a little bit that the the um, the sort of just just raging against. Uh, raging against circumstance, raging against what seems to me, I mean, aside from the the stuff with the dad, which is uh, pretty extreme, um, you know, seems to me to be a a pretty normal set of, uh, of like life challenges, right? Like he's had some, some love affairs go badly, had some disappointments, you know, uh, didn't it wasn't all i mean it wasn't all uh sunshine and bat demons you know um the what w- what is uh you know i don't know check your check your privilege meatloaf you know that it, yeah. it, a little uh, a little bit i you know i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm not really giving giving him his uh giving him his due i mean do you think we should be more sympathetic with with meatloaf and his his struggles in that 
Well, no, I, I think that it actually it, it, this circles back to your the very first question that you did ask me about whether he um, is an an emo band um, and that kind of like rage, like kind of misplaced and and over amplified um, rage. And actually, it, it goes back to what we we're talking about um, with respect to the Michael Bayness of it as well of the the lack of proportion and proportionality. Right, that there's a a kind of a blowing up. Uh, there's a lack of perspective um, on like the level of kind of uh, injury and harm relative relative to others. Right. Um, uh, and and um, and so that that is that kind of tone i think that inspires that potential question is also with the root of like the kind of emoness that it has right that it's not just the emoness that's like means just like kind of um being about kind of feelings and being about kind of uh, harm but th- there's a sense of um of like righteous indignation of entitlement right um and of uh of of being um and and uh, and of this of this rage um i think that you're there uh, it's it's you know going back to what you were saying, uh, Blinky, um, about uh, life is a lemon. Um, I mean, the other word uh, that is uh, that is there that um, rather mentioned earlier is is defective, right? It's the litany of everything that should be believed in, um, uh, and even right. Like I mean, I could imagine a Trump speech, right? What about hope? You know that that very Obama, right? Uh, right? Like it, like it's defective. It's corroded and decayed. Uh, um, right. And, and that that kind of that kind of word um, is is very much the kind of word um, that was uh, very much in. Are you in saying are you saying that, that that bat out of hell to back into hell is an album about American carnage? <laughs> I mean, it's not not an album about American <laughs> carnage. Right. I mean, that, that could be its subtitle. Right. <laughs> Bad out of hell for American carnage, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it, it does strike me like, you know, his what his grievances, what he's upset about is everything. But at the same time, it's kind of nothing. It's impossible to pin down. And now I'm thinking of a song that we I don't think we mentioned yet called it Just Won't Quit, where he, the very first words are, and I never really sleep anymore. And I always get these dangerous dreams. I never get a minute of peace. And I got to wonder what it means. And the whole song is like about like how just like I'm, I'm unhappy, I'm dissatisfied. And I don't understand why I don't understand what's wrong. And it's it's I think that that's part of why he's angry is because he can't put his finger on I need to fix X Y and Z to be happy. It's I mean, uh yeah I, another song that starts with and, you know, yeah. uh, just because and actually that's sort of the thing it's this litany you know it's this sort of litany of 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 complaint and grievance that. Uh, 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 that you know, meatloaf is is sort of delivering, or Jim Steinman. Uh, sorry, so, I think I cut you off, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I, I think that what's interesting though is that with within all of this kind of dissatisfa- that dissatisfaction, right? So even in this song, there, there's something else here though, right? Um, and 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 I think that there's this paradox, and it, it's it's kind of paradox upon paradox um, because. Have you found paradox by the dashboard light? <laughs> yes, uh, I sure have. Hey, stop right there before you go any further. <laughs> I gotta know. Do you love puns? Um, uh, like so. 
that that right at the core of this song, right, is um, I don't know what it is, but it just won't quit, right? And and the this and some of these other statements, um, the even the objects in the rearview mirror, they appear, appear closer than they are. Um, the um, I would do anything for love, but I uh, but I won't do that. And in this repetition, um, that that there is that they remind me in a way of Zen koans, right? Of these and and uh, and and. Uh, you know, not not being you know practicing Zen Buddhist, but kind of um, you know being curious uh, and 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 interested in it. You're, that there's you're, this, you're Zen curious. I'm Zen curious, um, <laughs> and and that uh, and, and and that this idea of kind of having this right, so that on the one hand you have this dissatisfaction, you have this middle age um, and and kind of rage and, and entitlement, um, and then on the other hand, but one of these strategies is kind of confronting yourself with these kind of unanswerable questions or these paradoxes, um, and, and and that so that the the right that rather than just wallowing right these and I think that and we talked a little bit about kind of epicness and kind of heroicness um that that weirdly right that there is this that 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 part of heroicness going to kind of hero's journey stuff is this idea of apotheosis right and and that there is this kind of weird kind of uh weird weird kind of zen zen like uh zen apotheosis right that you kind of repeat uh the koan louder and louder and louder than everything else um uh until you until you ascend right and to until you reach that 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 sense of um greater understanding right so this is uh um this is like zen and the art of meatloaf maintenance right <laughs> um and uh and and yeah so i don't know that there is it's not just rage um and it's not just kind of in, in the end the the way that it's not um the, the the kind of escape valve from pure trumpianism is that it finds these moments of celebration um and and paradox in in the in the repetition of these um things that that don't necessarily make a lot of sense but come to uh you know come but you just keep repeating them anyway um and that's what what like almost all of the choruses of or many of the choruses of these songs serve that role mm. I think uh, that is a good note to end on as we leave you, uh, the listener, to contemplate endlessly at higher and higher and higher <laughs> decibel levels the uh, the d- d- deep core of stillness and uh, uh, peace to be found within the center, uh, the nougaty center of each of these koans. Uh, thanks very much, Matt Belinky, for joining us and talking about Bad on the Hell, Bad Out of Hell too. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank. Have me back for Bad. Out of hell three. <laughs> when we when we get there, decades on when we get there in our historical march through time, um, which continues uh, still in 1993, and we are going to go uh, we are going to go ever forward like a screaming motorcycle headed towards the Chrysler Building. Uh, you can connect with us on on Twitter at TFT Podcast, on Facebook at Theory for Turntables, and uh, you know on the comments for the show notes of this uh, this episode until next time uh please please keep it real <laughs>